0: Welcome to the heart of show business. I am your host, Alexia Melocchi. I believe in great storytelling and that every successful artist has a deep desire to express something from the heart to create a ripple effect in our society. Emotion and entertainment are closely tied together. My guests and I want to give you insider access to how the film, television, and music industry works. We will cover dreams come true, the road less traveled, journey beginnings, and a lot of insight and inspiration in between. I am a successful film and television entrepreneur who came to America as a teenager to pursue my show business dreams. Are you ready for some unfiltered real talk with entertainment visionaries from all over the world? Then let's roll sound and action. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Heart of Show Business. What a special treat today. I have with me the amazing actor, director, performer, musician, singer, Don Most. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about who Don Most is. At the age of 20, Don Most catapulted into the American zeitgeist when he won the role of Ralph Malfe on the television series, Happy Days. Don's charisma and natural comedic timing made him the beloved class comedian that won the hearts of America, including mine. Since then, though, Don continued to entertain and inspire audiences and earn critical acclaim in a long list of TV and film roles. His credits include the great Buck Howard, starring John Malkovich, recurring Rose in Glee, Star Trek, Voyager, Baywatch, The Family Guy. What I'd really like to talk about here is that Don also loves being behind the camera and realized his lifelong ambition to direct his first feature, The Last Best Sunday, which premiered at the Seattle International Film Festival, won Best Feature at the Telluride Indie Fest, and then his second film, Moolah, starring William Maputer and Shailene Woodley, earned an Outstanding Achievement in Directing Award at the Newport Beach Film Festival in 2007. Then he went on to direct Harley's Hill, which premiered on Showtime, Stars, and Encore. What's really interesting here is this Don's dream of returning to his early musical days never wavered. Inspired by his love of swing, jazz, and big band music, he created the musical review Donnie Most Sings and Swings. The show debuted at the Catalina Jazz Club in Hollywood, Vitello's Jazz Club in LA, and his act showcases his love for great standards covering the likes of Dean Martin, Frank Sinatra, Nat King Cole, and his favorite Bobby Darin. My own personal reasons for having Don in my podcast is that I actually decided to move to America and get into show business because of happy days. This is where I learned of the existence of prom graduations, cap and gowns, even diners. And so as life has it, I am here full circle and welcoming you, the Ralph Mouth, an artist who is all heart. And we can talk about your work. So welcome, Don.
1: Oh, thank you. Thank you for that lovely introduction, Alexia. That was very, very kind. Thank you.
0: You're most welcome. So of course, we need to talk about Happy Days. As again, you know, the portrayal of Happy Days, I think was very, very timely when it got made because it brought back the values of American families and families overall and innocence and being a teenager. So tell me, what was it like for you? To be in that show for so many years and working with all these great and wonderful actors who, like you, ended up becoming Oscar winning directors and Oscar winning actors and continuing to work. What was it like?
1: Oh, wow. It was an amazing experience. You know, we were doing a show about the 50s and this was early 70s, 73. And, you know, it was a pretty chaotic time, you know, the Vietnam War and then a lot of you know, protests going on. And I think they felt uh, the network that doing a show hearkening back to a simpler time and where, you know, families, like you brought up, were really important, uh, the family unit and great values. And Gary Marshall, who created the show, you know, we found out afterwards, this was like his wheelhouse as, as we have seen later on. And they just had a documentary about Gary on ABC. And uh, they got into all this and it was great to see that. But yeah, I mean, I wound up being in, in a show with such an amazing cast. Like you mentioned, actors like Ron Howard, who had been in the business since he was three and a half, you know, and he was already kind of like a star, but he didn't act like one. He was humble and so centered and set a great example for us so that we didn't get too big in the head, you know. And Henry Winkler, Tom Bosley, who had won the Tony on Broadway, having done Fiorello, and, you know, and Marion Ross, such a talent, and Anson Williams and Aaron Moran, of course. So it was amazing. And then having somebody like Gary Marshall, who was shepherding the show and guiding us, and wonderful writers, and one of the great comedic directors in television, period, uh, Jerry Paris who had directed most of the old Dick Van Dyke shows. And uh, he was a force of nature. So I feel very lucky and privileged that I got to be the center of all of this amazing group of people and learn from them and, and grow, you know, during that period.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. So tell me when the show ended. Of course, being an actor, not in today's time, but everything is so You have to submit yourself. You can do that through the internet. Do you think that when you were going to do other roles after happy days, were people identifying you from being in happy days or were you being called as almost a stereotypical role of basically Mm -hmm. copycatting your role there? Or how did you manage to move your acting performances into
1: something Mm -hmm. else? It was very difficult. Uh, first of all, I was not really like that character in real life, hardly at all. I mean, in real life, when I was in high school, I was pretty shy, quiet, more of an introvert, you know, except when I was with my close friends. Then, you know, there was a, a more fun side, but I was never like the guy who thought he was the comedian, and I knew people like that, so I drew upon on other people sort of an amalgamation of different people I knew to inform me who Ralph was and some of my own personality to some degree. But the fact that I was, I knew the show was so popular, you know, which was great. We were number one for several years and then still in the top three for a couple more years. And, you know, 50 million people watching you on a Tuesday night. So now people go from television to movies and from movies to television. And back then, it wasn't like that. And I knew it was going to be tough. So after my contract was up, I did sev- the first seven seasons. And then when my contract was up, it was a tough decision. But I made the decision not to renew and sign up again. So I kept pecking away at it. You know, I did some theater. And then I decided, OK, let me let let's look at TV. Maybe I could do some roles that will help show a different side of me and a different side of me as an actor. And I started doing some guest roles and various things and and just sort of chipping away at it and, and trying to open up that steel door again. And you know, it took a while, but I wasn't getting the kinds of roles that I was really hoping to get. It was really difficult to even audition for these. But I was lucky I was able to keep working and hone the craft and uh, and theater helped a lot. And then I decided, oh, in the early nineties to try I had an opportunity to direct a play at a theater, a local theater in L.A. And then I started looking for something that I could direct on film. And that helped because it was kind of, I still was feeling somewhat stymied. Although right around that time is when I, I got a two-part episode of a show called The Crow and I played a psychiatrist, which was a very different kind of a role. So that helped. And then it was a little later that I did Voyager. I played a two-parter in that. Then I got to direct... My first film, The Last Best Sunday, which you alluded to, and um, that was a great experience.
0: How was it to transition from being an actor to getting the skills to direct? I mean, obviously, there is a lot of famous actors like Mel Gibson who transitioned into directing, as did Ron Howard. Do you feel that being an actor gives you a little bit of an advantage when it comes to knowing how to direct? Or do you need to also study the technical aspects of it, or you're just winging it
1: and just working with the actors? That's a great question. I think actors definitely have an advantage in regard to being able to communicate with other actors, you know, you speak their language that you've been in their situation, you know, the challenges they're facing and how to tackle certain things and communicate. I mean, you know, we all went to all the acting classes. And so there's that language that's common to us. So we would have an advantage over, say, a DP, a you know director of photography. Now, he, of course, has the advantage of knowing how to set up the shots. You know, that's his expertise. Or if an editor came in, you know, well, he's got a certain advantage in terms of setting up the shots, too. But if you don't get that great performance and if you don't get that, chemi- you know, to create an environment so that there's chemistry between them and that they're feeling comfortable and, and free to really be in the moment with each other, then all that technical stuff isn't going to make a great film if you don't have those great performances and knowing who to cast. And, actor, you know, I think actors, at least for me, you know, casting is huge, but I've worked with a lot of actors and, and that came easy to me. And because for me, I, I had a, a real interest in photography when I was younger. So I was into the composition of shots. And and then I was lucky enough to work with the first movie that I was in it was a small independent film directed by Jonathan Demme. It was only his second film. He went on to do Silence of the Lambs and Philadelphia and on and on. And, you know, so that was my first experience. So, you know, it was a great learning experience. And then I worked with Ron Howard. He wanted to prove that he could direct. So he asked if I would do a film with him, develop it, wanted me to star in it, and we would develop the story. And we started shooting it with him directing. And then halfway through, he got his first assignment to direct a film. So, you know, all of that, and then working with Jerry Paris and Gary Marshall, and then other, you know, a lot of other directors. I watched a lot and and I picked up, I'm not real strong on technical, but yet in terms of, like I said, it's sort of the mind's eye of how I see shots. And I love to work, collaborate with a DP. I really enjoy that very much. So it was a good sort of combination for me of working with actors, but also loving the visual, loving the, the frame, what's and in I the really, frame.
0: And I really like what you're saying. And it goes to a testament that Hollywood is still a wonderful town and there is friendships that are built on set with certain people that last forever. I hear you're talking about working with Ron Howard, you know, working with a lot of the people that you're still friends with, you Mm -hmm. know, like Henry Winkler, that you worked on the show, but then you remained friends and you ended up collaborating. It wasn't like, well, goodbye, see you later, you know, I'll never Mm -hmm. see you again. So that's really refreshing. So jumping into another completely different direction, but very important, you know, because I know that you like to sing. Yeah. Little in inside information, just like a little birdie told me. So what is it about the oldies but goodies that we're talking about here that really fires you up and says, I gotta tell people about the songs and sing them again, even if they're oldies and goodies?
1: Well, singing actually I like to say was my first love. I was pretty young when I, I saw a movie when I was nine years old called The Jolson Story, which was a biography. Biopic about the great Al Jolson. He he was considered the world's greatest entertainer back in the twenties, starting even earlier than that, and into the thirties. In fact, he starred in the very first talking movie called The Jazz Singer, nineteen twenty-seven. They picked him, and this, because he was so popular and the music. So I was introduced to that when I was nine years old, and when I saw the Jolson story, and I loved music. I loved something about Jolson and then I started learning about the great american songbook if you will and I was listening on the radio every night to a DJ in New York who would play all of that all of the greats singing and then I started discovering the jazz side of that and and that's where I really it hit me I loved and I started becoming a fan of jazz instrumental jazz and then some of the great jazz vocalists and then I wound up going to a school in New York in Manhattan for singing and dancing and acting and I got picked from that to be part of this review, a nightclub act of kids. They were 14 to 16 years old. There were eight of us. And I, we were performing in nightclubs in, in a resort area, upstate New York, the Catskill Mountains. And um, I was 15 years old that summer singing, you know, in all these in the nightclubs. And then I, I switched my focus after that summer into acting, more into acting. But I knew I'd want to come back to the music at some point. And, um, you know, and then when acting, when the acting career heated up, I got so caught up in it that I, I just, you know, I would sing sometimes in doing a musical on stage, but I wasn't trying to do the jazz, the big band swing kind of thing. But I did about six years ago, it hit me, if I'm ever going to do it, I better do it now. And that music started becoming popular again, because for a while, it was not, it was looked upon as passe. But now a lot of great singers have, have brought it back. So I said, I better do this. If I'm, you know, I'm not going to have much, I'm not getting younger, <laughs> you know. Wow, and,
0: you look great. Uh, you look great. Thanks. And you know what? It's interesting because you're saying the cat skills, and I'm thinking, Dirty Dancing, that's what mm-hmm. I about knew. And they had performers back then, obviously in the movie mm-hmm. Dirty Dancing. Yes. They were doing exactly the kind of songs that you're talking about. It seemed to yeah. be-
1: yeah, that was the year. I think that movie took place right around the time when I, the summer I, w- I was there. It was right around that time. Yeah, so that music, and I've always loved it. And it's been a joy to go back and, you know, I put an act together uh, with some great musicians and, and then led to me doing a, a CD called "The most Mostly Swinging uh, with a fabulous big band and great arrangements. And uh, it's on iTunes and Amazon, so people can check it out. And I'm actually in the middle of doing another CD with a producer in Nashville. It's not going to be the big band. It's going to be a little different. Still some of the jazz standards, but more contemporary sound with, you know, n- not the big band, but like, you know, a nice rhythm section and maybe a soloist, a sax or something or piano. And some 70s music thrown in there, some R&B, some blues. So I'm, um, I'm really uh, looking forward. It's going great. And we had to stop because of what's going on. I couldn't get back to Nashville to finish yet. So hopefully soon I'll be yeah. finishing that.
0: I always say to everybody, if you're an artist, you're an artist. And there is no stigma into trying to do many things all at once. You can be a successful actor and director and singer. And you seem to be the sad testament to that because you're doing a little bit of all three, and you're passionate about all three, which brings me to what you just said, these times, this crazy times that we live in. How do you stay creative? How do you think Hollywood is basically thinking about creating and producing content and working while we are not working? Yeah. I you brought this up in a conversation right before I started, yeah. so tell me about it.
1: Yeah, uh, it, it is a challenge, that's for sure. I mean, sure, there are people, I think people could be still in the planning stages of what projects they want to do when once production is allowed to begin again. And and as you, you've been involved in that a lot and looking, so you could still be putting those together, but to actually in production is almost impossible, although not completely because uh, I'm involved in a project right now. a very smart producer came to me who I'd worked with before and said, we have an idea to do something. We want to stay creative. We want to stay productive, but how can we do it? We have to stay at home. And he came up with this concept. Um, he, He has a pool of some great writers, one that I had worked with before who had written a lot of one act plays. So he said, what if we did, he called it a web, it's a web series called viral vignettes. And he said, what if we take two actors Uh, Maybe we start with some well-known actors and we have all these really nice scripts. They might be just 10 minute long scenes of two people who just like everyone else has to stay home and they can't visit with each other. So they're communicating the way we are right now and we could shoot it that way. And he has the ability so that he could put the two people side by side on the screen or you can go to a single of the one person and cut back to a single and then go to the two shot, if you will. And if the script is really good and the actors get into it, we can make like a, a series and some of these characters might come back and into, you know, they might, we'll, we'll have two different actors and two different actors, but then maybe you'll come back and do one with one of the others. So I did the very first one. Called, um, it was called Old Buddies. Was the name of the episode with a wonderful actor named Robert Wool, who people know from Hollywood Nights and Batman. And he created Arliss on HBO and played Arliss. And uh, Robert and I had done a play, The Great Sunshine Boys by Neil Simon. So I called him and I said, well, "You want to do this with me?" And the proceeds, if there are proceeds, are going to the Actors Fund for people. Oh. You know, in need. And um, he said, I'm in. And we did it. And it was so much fun. It was a blast. And then I did a second one that just came on with a wonderful actress named Gail O'Grady. And um, people could check it out. It's on for free. It's on YouTube. And if they just look up viral vignettes, and then put in my name, and you'll see the two that I've done. And we're doing more. And I just directed one today with two wonderful actresses. So, you know, who knows where it'll go, but maybe it'll turn into something on an ongoing basis. And in the meantime, we try to figure out what our projects will be when things return to normal.
0: Yeah. Well, what a wonderful and inspirational moment. I think we all need to stay creative and we have the advantage that there's so many platforms. there are so many ways that we can get ourselves seen. So mm-hmm. in closing this wonderful little podcast session that you and I had What would be a good mindset tip that you would want to give to somebody who wants to start in Hollywood, whether it's acting, directing, being a costume designer, what would be the thing that will help them stay in a positive and hopeful state Mm. so that they can actually continue to pursue their dreams no matter what?
1: Yeah, that's a tough one. A lot of times people have asked me that over the years and, and I'd say it's a tough business and, you know, if you really love it, you know, I, I don't recommend it to people unless you'd say, I just have a real, pa-. you have to have the passion. You have to want to do it more than that. You can't think of anything else you want to do. And if you feel that way, then stick to it. perseverance is one of the most important things that you can have is, is that belief. Don't let go of that belief and stay with it and the perseverance and, And if you really have a passion for doing it, then you'll find ways to hone it, whether it be, you know, if it's for acting at at acting classes and meeting other people and other actors and and getting exposed to different things and just stick with from the heart. And hopefully uh, it will lead you in the right direction because who can predict if I was going to try to predict and lay out, chart out my, the journey for me, I couldn't have done that. You know, you just don't, you can't. But if I didn't have that desire and passion, I don't think it ever would have happened, you know? So that's the most important part, I think.
0: That's a wonderful piece of advice. And it also, adding to that what you just said, you have to have the hunger to learn about your craft as well. As Michelangelo Mm. said at the age of 87, he says, I'm still learning. Mm. And I think to have the humility to say, I can be better. I can be a better actor. I can be a better director. Uh, I can be a better writer. It doesn't matter where I'm at in my career. It's a constant oh, learning,
1: right? Absolutely. I, I feel I'm doing some of my best work as an actor right now. There's a movie on Amazon Prime right now that I'm in called MBF, aka Man's Best Friend. Um, there are dogs involved, but it's a powerful movie about a wounded vet coming back and trying to get assimilate and Something happens and he needs it. And I wind up representing, uh, being a, am de- a defense attorney representing him. And it's a totally different kind of role for me. And it was great, great experience. And I I really feel doing some of my best work now. And I did another film with the same company. It's coming out in the fall called Lost Heart. And again, some beautiful script. And so, yes, it's something that you keep evolving and. And with the experience and with uh, living through life and maturity, hopefully we should get better. We should keep getting better.
0: Yes, yes. I love that. So where would the fans look for you? What are your Twitter handles, Insta- Instagram, official site? I would think donmost.com is your...
1: Yeah, donmost.com. Uh, my website is woefully not up to date. I will work on that. But but on Facebook, I under Don Most... I have a personal page and a music page uh, for Don Most. And then on Twitter, there's at most underscore Don, at most underscore Don. And then on Instagram is Don Most One.
0: Oh, my goodness. This has been such a wonderful, uplifting, happy conversation. We need to stay happy and to just you know, in tone with happy days. I am hoping that there will be happy days ahead for all of us, all All of humanity. And thank you so much.
1: Healthy, healthy, happy days. (laughs) Yes.
0: Healthy, happy days. Thank you so much for being on my podcast, Don.
1: Oh, my Uh, pleasure, Alexi. Thanks for having me.
0: It's been wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the heart of show business. If you enjoyed it, Please share it with a friend. You can also subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions or comments or feedback for us, you can reach me directly at theheartofshowbusiness.com.